This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 81, Comic Reviews for the week of May 22nd. Welcome once again, this is Comic Shenanigans, and uh, as the bumper said, this is episode 81. We're looking at uh, comic reviews for the week of May 22nd. Um, a fair bit of comics came out. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and we're just going to dive right in and take a look at all, all the comics that came out this week. Uh, fair bit of stuff, a lot of stuff that felt very middle of the road. Uh, we had a few endings. Um, Jeff Johns finished up on Green Lantern. Uh, I guess Milligan finished up on Red Lanterns. Uh, Bedard finished up on Green Lantern New Guardians. Um, we had the last issue of Savage Hawkman. Um, so that's a lot of kind of endings or you know the, the end of the road for certain stories. Uh, so let's just jump right in. First book up is, uh, let's take a look here, A Plus X number 8. Um... Now I've I feel like I've I've really said as much as I really should about this title over the course of the last well I guess the last eight issues basically or last seven before this um, this is very much a, a comic you don't need to read in a lot of ways it sounds horrible but it's kind of if you like the team ups that are in it you can pick it up and try and have a good time with it it's not really worried about necessarily uh, holding fast and true to any certain continuity it's just kind of People having fun with telling certain types of stories. Um, in this one, we have Spider-Woman and Kitty Pride by Jerry Dugan and Salvador La Roca. And then we also have Hawkeye and Deadpool by Christopher Hastings, who wrote it, and Riley Brown on art. Um, the first story, I gotta say, uh, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It's a Kitty Pride Spider-Woman teaming up against Absorber Man. Um, it's actually kind of fun and silly. Uh, this is probably the much better Salvador La Roca artwork I've seen in quite a long time. That being said, it still has a lot of the issues that I have with his more modern artwork, and I think that part of that is the colorist. Um, it is it is very kind of take it or leave it, uh, but it's kind of fun. Uh, I did enjoy the back the second story because you have uh, Deadpool and Hawkeye teaming up. Again, not a huge fan on how Deadpool has been portrayed in the last few years because he's always more silly than, than serious, and I like when he's there's a kind of a, a darker sense of humor, but he's not silly, and whereas here he's very silly. Uh, that being said, it was interesting just to see them teaming up and how Hawkeye and him actually work together. It's kind of interesting. I do miss Hawkeye's classic purple costume, but this still worked out fairly well. It, it was fun. It was silly. Um, so I gave it a seven out of ten. I mean, it's not the best use of four dollars, but it's it's kind of a fun it's a fun usage for sure. Uh, next up is Aquaman number twenty. I was disappointed with this. Um, that being said, when the other storyline happened, so that was the second half of the first year of um, Jeff Johns on Aquaman, uh, he introduced the others. And I read, I don't think I actually read all the issues, so I don't remember all the characters all that well, or part of it's just my memory. Um, so this issue kind of refocuses on the others. Now, the problem with it is, if you look at the cover, you're going to get wrong information, cause, and this really frustrates me so you have the cover you look at it you're like okay it says it's by jeff johns and paul pelletier okay that's the that's the normal creative team on this book that sounds good right uh although it's it's, it's incorrect because this is a fill-in issue and i i knew that based on the cover that I, I knew it was a fill-in issue because i remember seeing the cover previously and mentioning it was a different art artist sorry uh creative team but they didn't i guess get the memo when they actually released the the uh, the issue, so they had the wrong credits on the cover. It's actually written by John Ostrander, who's uh, late of um, Suicide Squad fame, 
and also it's written, it's uh, penciled, sorry, by Manuel Garcia. Um, it's not bad. It's just it's very much an interlude from what's been going on in the main story, and you have the others, and you have them interacting with this this uh, former Apache girl, and some of it's all right, but it just felt very like what what where is this going? What's happening? It, it felt very much like this is a villain back in the kind of classic days where they used to do villains all the time. It just felt very artificial, and it really kind of frustrated me because there's no need for this. And I'm wondering when it's coming out in trade, if they're going to actually leave it as an interlude in the middle or actually publish it at the end of a, the particular collection it's part of. Because you can't... I don't know. It, just, it was really irritating to me. I, I couldn't enjoy it. I wasn't a big fan of the art. Uh, the story felt very inconsequential. It just felt like a bit of a waste of time. It didn't move the storyline forward at all because it was just an interlude in the middle. Uh, I just found it frustrating. It felt like a one-shot kind of thing, where, but a useless one-shot. And I was more upset that it was in the main series. Um, so I gave it a 6.5 out of 10, and I think I was being charitable, to be honest. Uh, next up is Avengers number 12. I really dug this. It's a great issue. It's uh, written by a Hickman artwork by... Uh, let me just actually pull up the credits because I think I might be partially incorrect uh, as I go through it. Um, let's see. Uh, just to... No, one thing actually I really didn't like about this issue now that I think about it is uh, you they have this weird... Um, and this is not the only time this showed up, but having Tony... Stark being there as Iron Man, but not really being there because he's in space. So you have the uh, the faceplate of his armor kind of go up, and you see a picture of him like telepresencing basically from somewhere in space, which I just find really pushing the limits of my own uh, patience. With you know, obviously Marvel Universe science is quite different than ours, but it just it feels like it's draining any credibility it could possibly have. Uh, this issue is actually a joint uh, jointly written by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Spencer, and the artwork is by Mike Diodato, who does a brilliant job. Uh, like that they go to Savage Land, they deal with these children who have been created basically as a result of what happened in the first arc. Um, so you have Iron Man and Hyperion, Spider-Man, and a bunch of the Avengers trying to teach these kids. And uh, my favorite stuff was with Hyperion and Thor and having them have a, a surprisingly frank heart-to-heart. And I just found it absolutely fascinating. It was extremely well-written. I like that this issue was kind of a, a way of changing pace. It wasn't about necessarily all this crazy action and adventure. It was a lot about uh, quieter ideas. And, um, yeah, I really, really dug it. Uh, seeing, again, Diodato's artwork on this book doesn't hurt. Um, I just thought the the way that uh, Hyperion and Thor interacted was just so fantastic. It just felt correct. Uh, I'm loving how this Hyperion's been used and utilized so far and what he's been used to say. Um, oh, just this was great. This was a great issue. I mean, this Hickman, I you know was scared. I was like, you know, I really like Jonathan Hickman. I hope he can really do an Avengers justice, and he's done a brilliant job. He's told very different types of stories. He's told one-offs. He's told like a like the, the initial arc, which was a lot more grandiose and epic in scale. And he's building towards these things, and it's just it's one of my favorite books to read every single month, or actually every two weeks, because it comes up basically almost every two to three weeks because it's twice a month. Um, 
I almost like it more than New Avengers just because we're getting more of it and New Avengers as much as I'm loving it I don't get as much so I, I feel I feel like it's not really fair but because one of them I'm getting twice a month and it's always great and I, it feels like it's more prevalent in my mind because I've read more of it uh, whereas New Avengers is great but it doesn't happen as often so it's not its fault but it kind of is uh, so I gave this a 9 out of 10 it was great uh, next up is Batman Incorporated 11 speaking of doing a totally unrelated um, you know, tie-in issue. Uh, we have Batman Incorporated number 11. Now, I didn't realize this. I, maybe I just missed the solicits. I didn't realize that Morrison was jumping off for an issue, uh, which seems weird. But you have Chris Burnham writing, jumping on with, uh, I guess, Jorge Lucas on artwork. This is the uh, basically the, Jam- the Batman from Japan. Did not care. Uh, it's very vaguely even connected to the idea of Leviathan, um, in Japan, I guess, but I just didn't care much for the story about this version of, um, of, uh, of Batman from Batman Inc., the Japanese Batman. I just didn't care for much for the story. I found, it, again, it was just, you have this epic storyline brewing of Batman Incorporated, just like an Aquaman, this good storyline, and then we're going to, out of nowhere, take a right turn into somewhere you don't care about with characters you don't care about. That's how it basically felt to me. I'm sure other people have loved it or really enjoyed it. I just found it frustrating, and I, I didn't find it all that interesting, and I don't think Burnham was the writer. Uh, choice on writer, I, I think it was trying to be Morrison, but it wasn't Morrison, and it felt like it was just trying to be something it wasn't. So I gave it a, a 6 out of 10. I just didn't care. Uh, next up is Batman the Dark Knight, number 20. Man, this book, I when I started reading it, I was like, man, this is not going to get a good review. And... Because there's certain aspects that bug me. It reminded me a little bit too much of of the Christian Bale Batman and that the idea that Batman isn't going to be Batman forever. Like I don't. I mean, obviously, even in Dark Knight, he gives it up at some point. But I don't like the idea they may be giving it up for for love and that kind of stuff. I do like the idea, however, that he would give it up because he doesn't want the pain that the death of his allies is causing him. Um, it was this issue is written by Greg Hurwitz, artwork by I guess Zaman Kudransky. Um, so I, I went into it and I wasn't really liking where it was starting. I wasn't sure about the artwork, uh, but it built and built and built. And I was actually shocked and surprised by the end. Um, it really built itself up to, it felt very cinematic as we we're getting closer and closer. And the way the sound effects were being used to amp up the tension was actually extremely well done. And they, and, uh, there was a certain desperation to it all. And, um, it was just absolutely brutal. And by the ending, uh, I, w- I was very shocked, surprised, and uh, it, it felt like a, a little bit of how I felt during Dark Knight when they killed off Rachel Dawes, because usually you don't kill off the love interest, and uh, and the fact that they did in that movie, I found was a really striking idea, and I found it more jolting, because I was like, oh my god, they killed her, she's dead, like that's a big move, um, so here they kill off the female love interest, and I was quite surprised by that, and that felt like, again, a big move I didn't see coming, and it made me a lot more like, holy crap, this issue got me. It got me going. I thought it was going down somewhere more predictable, and then it took a, a swerve, and I didn't see it coming, and I really dug it. Sure, other people maybe did see it coming or thought this issue was more expendable. I didn't think that they were going to kill her like this, and it was brutal. That last page is just, oh, it is so brutal. Like, when you see her falling, and you see the shot of her on the on the uh, the bat signal, it's just, ugh. That is powerful stuff. So I gave, I actually, as I said, I give it an 8.5 out of 10 just because the whole issue wasn't a 9, but it was close. Um, but I ended up, you know, deducting a little bit because it wasn't all, you know, Lollipops and Rainbows. It wasn't all very strong. But, uh, man, the last 
10, like at least the last half for sure, when they ratchet up the tension and the plotting and the pacing, it just picks up and it's just, it's phenomenal right as you go careening towards the end. Uh, I'm interested to see where they go in the next issue, uh, in the finale. Um, the only bad part about the storyline thus far really has been the inconsistency in visual tone, because you started off with, I believe, Ethan Van Skyver, and he didn't finish it off, and then you've had different artists, and that's the only part that's really been detracting, and I think that would be more clear and more prevalent when you read it in eventual collected form, when... At least with the, the, on a monthly basis, you're like, well, it doesn't quite look the same as it did last month. But when you're reading it all at once, you're like, okay, it's changing, and uh, I like visual consistency and tone. I mean, anyone who's been listening to the show at all would know that I'm always talking about consistency of colors and, and, and keeping the tone as a, a method of doing the colors. And so I'm very big on that. So it would be more disruptive to me. Some people don't care. I mean, there are people who just like, kind of read the story that the artwork is almost more functional and they're not worried about the art and the colors, so they won't give a damn. Uh, but I unfortunately do give a damn. And that, so I became, it became more frustrating as a result. Um, so I get that in eight and a half. Next up is Daredevil number 26. Now, there's a big spoiler here, so it looks like, it, it looks like this is the return of Bullseye. Uh, Really, really well done issue. I'm really loving Mark Wade's take on the book. It's so different, but but similar to prior versions of Daredevil. But it's different enough that it still feels fresh. Um, I like what we're what they're doing with Matt Murdock and uh, Foggy Nelson. With Foggy Nelson having cancer, uh, or potentially having cancer and being in danger. Um, our work here is by Chris Samney, and on the first page, they're credited as storytellers is Mark Wade and Chris Samney, and. When you look at it, it's it's hard to imagine this book being one that the uh, the penciler isn't at least somehow involved in crafting part of the story and kind of working together because it, it just hits a certain vibe. And the colors by Javier Rodriguez are fantastic. Um, so, I mean, here you have Daredevil kind of pushed to the brink where he like he's doing a job interview. Uh, he's interviewing someone and he starts to believe that like this guy maybe is connected to everything bad that's been happening to him and just when he thinks that you know he's actually wrong and he's been pushed too hard and he he's freaking out for no reason the guy's like you know good Ikari will be glad to hear that and he just disappears and it's just creepy as all hell that everything's kind of um the walls are closing in and then the way that Daredevil come figures out how to kind of beat him first of all there's a great panel with him and Foggy trying to figure out ever since the start what's been happening and they start doing these Circles, circles of kind of pain, and of these people going after him and hunting him, and the idea that it kind of it creates a bullseye, which is very random, and I don't think it makes a lot of sense that they come to that conclusion. But it's just very like very movie movie esque or cinematic in terms of like having that big kind of um, light bulb moment when you figure out like, oh no, this is what's really going on, which is actually pretty awesome. And then when you have um, uh, Matt inject himself with adrenaline. That's so badass. Like that. Then now he can't be found by radar. The same. He goes after Lady Bullseye, and then he confronts uh, the real Bullseye, who's in an iron lung. Uh, I really dug this. This was great. This is a nine out of ten all the way. Uh, next up is Fantastic Four uh, number eight. 
Oh man, okay, so I really didn't think that the time, um, I guess it was what, Fantastic Four 6 AU, I didn't, I really hated it, for people who've read or listened to previous podcasts where I talked about it, I hated the idea that Ben Grimm in any way was responsible for what happened to Doctor Doom, I thought it was just ridiculous, there's no reason for that to inject that into his history, it makes Doctor Doom right in a lot of ways, or just not as evil, because he really did get screwed with and fucked with, um... So I really didn't like that, uh, and so I didn't expect to have it brought up in the main book. But Fraction has proven me wrong. Now, on the one hand, it makes that tie-in uh, part of the cohesive whole, but at the same time, like, it, why is it a dream? Like, I don't, I almost don't get it. I guess something happens with the timeline where maybe it didn't happen. Now it bring, it raises more questions than perhaps it should because now I'm wondering like, okay, well there really is something screwed with the timeline now because that happened, but now they don't remember that it happened, but they remember it like a dream. Uh, I don't really get what the like where Fraction's going with that or what what that's supposed to mean. Um, so Fraction wrote it with artwork by Mark Bagley. Um, here we have a lot of it takes place on Earth, and it, you have Ben Grimm enjoying his time as Ben Grimm uh, for that one week a year. And he goes back in time and he kind of messes with uh, the Ancy Street Gang uh, way back when, which I feel like is breaking the rules of time travel and getting involved where he really shouldn't be, uh, which is, is what it is. But then uh, when you have... He's not on the on the ship, but you have the uh, the rest of the team all kind of having dinner together, and uh, Franklin's talking about the dream he had where... He found out about what Ben did to uh, to Victor when they're growing up, and then it looks like next issue we're going back to college years because uh, Reed and Sue have some questions for him, and they're not too happy with him. Um, I actually like the artwork on that by Mark, by Mark Bagley to really show how it kind of not sinister, but like very serious they're taking it, and how they're very like very disappointed and pretty pissed off at, at Ben, and I would be too, but it's very out of character, and that's. I don't know, it just really frustrates me. So I didn't mind the part of the issue in, in back in time. It's kind of fast and loose with time travel and uh, what that's supposed to do. But then introducing elements of uh, really hated one-shot is not a smart move, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, our work by Mark Bigley, though, was very strong. So I ended up giving this a 7. I feel like maybe I was giving it too much. Maybe it's more of a 6 because of it wasn't that great an issue, but... I'm going to let it stand for now. I think part of it's that I really did like the artwork by uh, Bagley. It was pretty great stuff. Uh, next up is Fearless Defenders, number 4 AU. Now, I haven't read this book, really. I, I think I read part of issue 1, and then I just kind of said, I'm, I'm okay. And this is an odd choice um, to even bother doing it as an AU. And this is one of the more inconsequential AUs, because it does kind of explore the universe that's happened ever since Hank Pym died. But I don't think it needed to happen. Basically, the idea that uh, Doom teamed up with uh, Morgan Le Fay, and then we have Morgan Le Fay's daughter is in the present, and she hangs out with the basically uh, the leader of the Amazons, who got overthrown and killed, who's now been resurrected, and they end up fighting against Ares, who is actually pretending to be Doom and ruling Latveria. That's the issue. More than needs to be said of it. I just didn't find it all that. I didn't find it like I don't. I don't know what the point was. And um, the artwork is, you know, pretty because you don't get to see Phil Yemenez on Marvel books that often. But uh, I didn't really care much care for it. And uh, Colin Bunn, I mean, I'm really hot and cold on his writing. I don't know. I don't, I didn't need to read this, and I almost didn't, and I probably just shouldn't have. So I gave that a six and a half out of ten. 
Uh, next up is The Flash, number 20. Uh, I kind of like this. Um, it's part of a six-part arc, so there's it's kind of glacial in terms of actually moving the story forward right now. Uh, the Reverse Flash is around. He's killing those connected to the Speed Force. We don't quite know why yet. Uh, what I did like here is it finally, and now we haven't seen a lot of this, but it finally felt like we're getting a um, capitalization on the idea of why do we have Barry as Flash now? Well, they want to tell stories with Barry that you couldn't tell with Wally. One of the ways of doing that is to explore his being a forensic scientist. So this was one of the first times where it actually felt like we get to see him actually thinking and uh, you know using his smarts and his, his abilities as a police forensic scientist to really uh, figure out you know the, the scene of the crime and and how to how to approach certain things. Um, the artwork here is absolutely fantastic. I mean, just the effects and seeing how Flash operates. I mean, I'm still not a big fan of the weird kind of crease lines that are the energy, uh, the Speed Force energy kind of spilling forth from his costume. But I'm trying to get over it. But it just kind of it oddly are, makes his whole look look more articulated than it potentially should be. Um, I'm interested to see that first page when you have the looks like uh, Reverse Flash is there and. and throwing like basically cutting up uh his prey crazy stuff anyways i'm excited to see what this is going to be um i'm enjoying the first part of reverse uh i do like uh, manipul and bucciolato working together uh writing and, and doing all the art together so i mean this was a pretty solid book i gave it an eight and a half out of ten it's nice to see barry acting like barry next up uh we've got uh well sorry did i even say my rating eight and a half for that wow i'm really all over the place today uh, next up is Green Lantern number 20. Now, this is a big one. Now, on a future podcast, I don't know exactly when it will air, but probably later in the summer, um, uh, we're, I'm going to be doing a Green Lantern, Jeff Johns kind of discussion respect, uh, retrospective with uh, Paul Scores, uh who's my frequent co-host. Uh, originally, it was going to go up this week, but we ended up doing a, a comic talk episode as well, um, uh, two hours of random comic talk stuff discussion. Um, so we pushed that back to later in the summer. But uh, it eventually will be leading back up to uh, Green Lantern number 20. Uh, Green Lantern number 20, obviously, for those who are living in a cave, is the end of Jeff John's run on Green Lantern. It's been a long time. It's been, what, nine years or something like that? Um, and since he brought Hal Jordan back in Green Lantern Rebirth. Um, so this was a big issue. It was very long. Um, not a huge fan. I think the problem with this is that it felt like a lot of spectacle, but not a lot of substance. It just felt like heap after heap of these big moments, um, and that's and I guess that's the problem is that it felt less like a story and less like Volthoom really had a real personality, and more like this was just about having a series of moments. You have Hal Jordan's dead. Oh no! You have the Green Lantern Corps coming for uh, Volthoom. Oh no! You've got the Red Lanterns coming for Volthoom. Oh no! Uh, you have. You know, basically, uh, St. Walker, um, Star Sapphire, Simon Baz, uh, John Stewart, Gaia Gardner, and Atrocitus, and everyone fighting together, and and uh, Mogo teaming up with them to uh, try and stop Volthoom. Oh no! And then we got Sinestro coming in, and he's going to try and fight. Um, you know, that's its own thing. Then you've got uh, the Indigo Tribe. And then you've got Hal Jordan um, using a Black Lantern ring, and he's going after Volthoom. And, you know, it just felt like a series of these moments that they wanted to show. Uh, now this, he, he plucks out young Hal Jordan, so young Hal Jordan's there, and it's the idea that that's when Hal really had fear. Um, 
Yeah, it's just a, 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 a long series of these. Uh, you have uh, Sinestro uh, bonding with Parallax and becoming para- controlling Parallax so that he can go up against Volthoom. You have Volthoom kind of saying he's a god. Again, this is just like just going through the issue, figuring out these big like these big whoa moments. And if even one of them was actually done not appropriately, because they're all like big moments and they're cool, but it just felt like you didn't have the time to react because. First of all, each moment didn't last very long, and then you have another moment. So it just felt a little crazy. Uh, you have the rise of Necron. Uh, so Necron going up against Volthoom as well. Um, yeah, and then by the end, somehow, Hal's not dead anymore. It's not really explained how he gets to not be dead, but he's back. Um, and then you have uh, Sinestro versus Hal Jordan. You have Sinestro killing most of the Guardians except for one. Theoretically, because he leaves one for uh, Atrocitus, we, and then we get a little bit of a uh, you know future history of what happens to everyone else in this entire book and what the future looks like, uh, which is nice. But the book isn't over, and it's only just begun in some ways because now new writers are going to come on, and it just feels like it was a nice coda, but didn't also make a lot of sense in some ways because, I mean. Uh, other writers and artists are going to take it in different area, different directions anyway. Uh, there are a lot of people who worked on this book, though. Um, I mean, this is the culmination of a very long time. This is, like, the end. So it's by uh, Doug Monkey, who does most of the penciling. And then you have uh, a cavalcade of anchors. Uh, Christian Alame, Keith Champagne, Mark Deering, Mark Irwin, Wade Von Gravager, Tom, nu- uh, Tom Nguyen, and Doug Monkey. And then you have... Uh, a bunch of guest artists. You got Patrick Gleason, Cully Hamner, Aaron Cooter, Jerry Ordway, Ivan Reyes, with Eau Claire Albert and Joe Prado and Ethan Van Skyver. That is one hell of a lot of guest people. Um, you know, it was an appropriate ending. I think at the, at the same time, though, I was just kind of ready for Jeff Johns to be done. This did feel the freshest and most exciting in some ways uh, story he's done in quite a while because. It just felt like he didn't know what he was doing with the book anymore, and the book kind of felt like it lost its way. The Green Lantern, um, kind of the entire their sector, sector, the Green Lantern family felt like it had lost its way. So it felt it was nice to kind of put it back on its path. Um, but now he's done, so who knows what'll come next? I gave it a seven out of ten. I mean, it's hard to deny the amazing impact that uh, Jeff Johns has had on the Green Lantern mythos, probably more so than almost anyone else in the Green Lantern's history. Um, Just in terms of making characters work and pushing them in new and bold directions, making Hal Jordan a hero again, that was something that, you know, a lot of, some people wanted back in 2004, but it hadn't really been achieved effectively yet, and they thought, there's no way you can make him a Green Lantern again and make the events of Emerald Twilight, you know, go away or not be horrific. And he didn't shy away from it, but he also was able to give it a very clever retcon, which informed the rest of his run. So, I mean, you can't underestimate or um, belittle his importance to the Green Lantern universe. I mean, the fact that there is... The Green Lantern book was cancelled for Rebirth because it wasn't the highest seller. It was never that great. Like, when it was, when it kind of came to its original conclusion, uh, I actually really liked the arc that kind of left it off, but it also kind of felt like it had run its course. Like, the... It, and the sales weren't that great, um, and it was then you had Rebirth happen and it exploded, and suddenly the Green Lantern franchise. Well, for, first of all, it is a franchise. It hadn't really been one before. It had spinoff titles here and there, but not to the extent and to the duration that it has now. So, which is really a testament to Jeff Johns and uh, Peter J. Tomasi, who was his editor, 
uh, originally, and then also went on to write a lot of Green Lantern Corps. So, um, a 7 out of 10 isn't a slight against it. I just think that it had a lot of heavy lifting to try and figure itself out, and it didn't succeed in everything, but it was still a fairly interesting ride. Uh, next up is Green Lantern New Guardians, number 20. I didn't much care for this. Um, I was going to give it a 7, but I realized a 7 for this next to Green Lantern number 27. Mm, no, this is more like a 6 in comparison. I'm not a big fan of the artwork by Andres Guinaldo. Tony Bedard does do a good job with the story, though. Um, I like that we kind of have the idea of, of uh, Kyle Rayner kind of maturing a little bit as a character. And the idea of him having a search for a father figure and actually meeting his own father. Uh, the problem, I guess, was really was with the artwork that made him look like a child half the time. Uh, but the story was relatively strong. So, really, it's the artwork that drags it down to a six more than anything else. Uh, next up is Iron Man 258.3. Um, I'm still liking this. I still have some problems with the continuity of it um, because of when it takes place. But, you know, it, it is fun to kind of read an old-school book. Michelini wrote it uh, with Layton. Um, you have... Luke Ross and artwork. Um, sorry, not not Luke Ross. Sorry, Dave Ross. My bad. It's easy to think it was the other Ross. <laughs> um, this is a you know it's a fun book. It's kind of silly. It's it's uh, bombastic, but it, it's a fun Iron Man story, and it reminds me how much fun Iron Man used to be in certain ways. Like Iron Man is a very different character now, um, but Layton and Michelini get get to the heart of who the character used to be before he became a Robert Downey Jr. in comic book format. That's what he's felt like for a while now. Uh, this is back when he had a different personality and he was someone else and he was still having the idea of having a, a secret identity, which is uh, very, um, uh, what's the word? It's very old school, but it's very, I guess, cliche, but it's also makes me, you're in it for a simpler time. Back when secret identities were a thing, it's kind of fun to read. Um, Dave Ross's artwork is, is pretty good too. I liked... The only thing I, did, I didn't really like here is that based on the timeline for when this issue takes place, the iron, the War Machine armor wasn't even in the prototype stage yet, so I didn't like that it was included. That being said, I I, I would have liked it more if they showed the, the War Machine armor and he decided not to wear it, and that was the final decision. Instead, he decides not to wear it, then he's like, you know what, no, I am. And so he does put it on. That's too bad. Um, I always liked the idea also that, you know, Tony wore it first. I mean, Tony was the one using the War Machine armor, and back before it was actually known as War Machine, and it was just a new version of the Iron Man armor. Um, but I did enjoy it. I'm interested to see how they wrap it up. Uh, it's a fun, it's a fun throwback. I I would actually not be against them doing more throwbacks like this with classic creative teams in terms of at least the writers in this case, uh, and kind of putting it squarely at a certain moment in continuity and just having fun with it. It's it's, it's kind of nice. I actually really enjoy it. I am wondering though when they. Um, for those who follow collected editions and those types of threads and stuff, uh, Marvel recently announced the Epic Collections, where over time the plan is that they will basically reprint everything in their canon for the big characters like Avengers, Thor, Iron Man, Spider-Man, etc. Uh, but they're not going to come out in chronological order. They're going to come out, but they've already mapped it. And I wonder if this is going to be included in whenever we get 258 in one of those Epic Collections, will they sandwich this in or not it's an interesting question probably not but it'd be interesting and and maybe there'd be like a note saying like this was originally published much later but it's meant to kind of take place within the gaps uh and actually that would be interesting to see because 
as much as like I'm wondering about some of the chronologies and continuity, it's been a while since I've read some of that stuff in this exact like kind of issue era. I'm interested to see if I, if it was all collected in, in one format together, if it would actually blend together well or not. But it, it's an intriguing question at, at any rate. I give it a seven and a half out of ten. It's a fun uh, it's a fun journey. Uh, next up is Justice League number twenty. I really dug this. Uh, you got Despero. Um, obviously, they had alluded before that Martian Manhunter had been on the uh, Justice League at some point. It hadn't gone so well prior to, I guess, his uh, experiences with Stormwatch. So Despero attacks. You have Element Woman, Adam, and Firestorm are the only ones up against him. But until Martian Manhunter shows up and lends a hand, um, really dug this. I really, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm actually quite enjoying um, Element Woman. She's actually a lot of fun to read. Um, the new Adam, she's fascinating, and uh, I really like that. I like the idea also that uh, Batman having to kind of reveal to his allies what he's been doing, especially to Superman, the idea that, he had, that his Batcave has a Batcave, and that he has these, um, you know, these boxes for each person uh, on the Justice League, and in order to as a contingency plan. And I really liked when he showed when he's like, you know, here's Wonder Woman's. This is why I'm concerned. He's like, open Wonder Woman's. He's like, it's empty. And it's like, because Wonder Woman doesn't have a kryptonite. And I thought that was awesome. Like the idea that at the end of the day, there's a way to take down Superman to use kryptonite. There is no way to take down Wonder Woman. Uh, Superman is the box. He is the reason, the way to take down Wonder Woman. So them having a relationship complicates matters and makes it more difficult for him to plan. I think that's fascinating and really, it's just such a great concept. Um, also like the idea that the last member of the Justice League of America is the Atom, and that the Atom is basically a stealth member. Um, and I really dug that. This is really strong stuff. Uh, Gene Haw did the artwork. Uh, it's written by Jeff Johns. I gave this a 9 out of 10. This book, ever since the Throne of Atlantis storyline, has really been running on all cylinders. I've been really digging it. I wasn't a fan of the first arc or the second arc, or I guess what I guess you could ostensibly say would make up the third arc or what would make up a third trade. Uh, but now that we're really getting into it, I'm really digging it. It's become a much better book, thankfully. Uh, next up is Red Lanterns number 20. Yeah, it was all right. I mean, I give it a... I, don't know, I think I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's not a bad read. It has some problems, for uh, for sure. It's not a bad epilogue, though. It is Peter Milligan's kind of last word on this title. Um, so take from that what you will. I'm interested to see what will happen next, but I don't think I'll be sticking around all that long. I did really like the artwork by Will Conrad. Um, a lot of it, it almost reminded me a lot of Mike Diodato at times. You have um, the Red Lanterns going up against the inversions of Yuzmut. Uh, you also have Atrocitus going after the last uh, Guardian, and then him reaffirming himself as leader of the of the Red Lanterns, and realizing he hasn't kind of been the best leader that they could have had. Uh, you also have Rancor kind of having a, a harsh awakening when he goes home and tries to, uh, you know, uh, tap into rage, and it doesn't work out well when it comes to his lady love, or the woman he started to have a great deal of feelings for. So I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up, so we have a bunch of books left. Man, I didn't realize how many books we were going to be talking about this week. Because <laughs> uh, there's a fair bit left. Uh, next up is Savage Hawkman number 20. I gave this a 7. It it was kind of dumb, mindless fun. You have uh, Hawkman going up against the blockbuster character. Um, and finally kind of putting him down. You also have him kind of tapping into, uh, I guess, the warrior mode of the uh, Hawkman armor. Him... This is the last issue, so it's him kind of saying goodbye to the family he's kind of come to know and love. 
and instead realizing he's going to reaffirm himself to the Justice League of America. Um, it's not the like it's not this is not a work of art. I mean, this is a fairly functional issue. It gets Hawkman to the point where he's just going to be worried about the Justice League moving forward because this is the last issue. Um, it's over. It's it wasn't a bad series. It had some highlights. It had some lowlights. Uh, kind of like the, uh, the, um, Deathstroke. I think it probably had more highlights than Deathstroke, only because Deathstroke had some pretty terrible stuff in that first year. Although, so did Hawkman, to be fair. Um, but now it's over. I mean, it wasn't a bad send-off either. I gave it a 7 out of 10. Uh, I guess I should mention the creative team. It might be nice. Uh, I believe it was written by DeFalco, who I do enjoy, and Joe Bennett. Although this isn't the best Joe Bennett artwork. It's not as clean. Um, I think the ink, something about the inks and the colors aren't quite as strong as I've seen them in the past. Uh, next up is Scarlet Spider number 17. This felt like a, a bit of a return to form for the title. The title has felt like it's lost its way. Uh, you had Scarlet Spider up against, um, oh, what's it called? And f- first of all, before I mention anything, I it's frustrating that on the covers he looks quite different than he usually looks in the actual issues uh, in terms of the, the costume being red and then it looking different at certain points, but... Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I did like using the stealth technology here as well. You have Kane going after Wolverine. Um, really dug this. As I said, this book has has felt a little bit off its game recently. Uh, this felt like it went right back on. Um, this this is a really... I liked him going up against the X-Men. was actually really interesting. Him in a race late. I forget what her superpower name is supposed to be, but it was interesting to see that as well. Barbarian on artwork. Yost is really doing a good job with the script now. It, Again, he, he was having some fun, doing some different things, and then I think he lost his way with all the, the weird... I mean, you had Minimum Carnage, then you had the weird stuff with the wolves and the other, and this felt more of a return to form, and I'm looking forward to, in future months, him being in New York and going up against Superior Spider-Man, so that's cool. Um, Arisley's costume, though, looks a lot like um, Gamora in certain lights as well, which is weird, um, but it's cool. I like the idea of this and having... Uh, Scott Spider trying to make do on his promise from very early on in the series when he said, you know, he basically owes the Assassin's Guild a, uh, an assassination. And he does technically kill Wolverine, although Wolverine heals, so he's probably fine. But I guess a case can be made that he's at least done his job. Uh, I dug this. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Superior Spider-Man, number 10. I'm going to give this an 8 as well. It maybe could go a little higher, but I'm really digging this. Um, this is the first issue of the post you know, the ghost Peter has been taken care of and mine and wiped out. Uh, Otto no longer has access to uh, Spider-Man's memories. He can remember things he's already used, but you can't access the memories in terms of knowing what types of responses to make, etc. anymore. Uh, Ryan Stegman on artwork, Dan Slott wrote it. Um, it felt like a fresh new day because this is a start of something new because now there is no Peter there anymore. We just got to see how Doc Ock is really engaging in things. Uh, you have... The Green Goblin and his people. Um, who knows which Green Goblin this actually is? We think it's Norman, just because of a missing body. But he could actually be not the Green, not the actual Green Goblin here. Carly Cooper is trying to uh, find out what's going on with uh, Spider-Man by enlisting the the uh, assistance of Captain Watanabe, who's returned from leave. Um, you have a, uh, a date happening between Peter and his uh, his classmate. You have an attack on MJ's nightclub. Um, and there's just so much going on here. It's actually pr- pretty impressive uh, that 
that slot's able to do this much in one issue. Like this is this is what a comic issue should feel like. Like there's so much going on. There's a lot of different plot threads. There's uh, all this different characterization happening. This is what a comic book should be. I mean, a lot of people slow things down and they make it more decompressed. No, compress the fuck out of the issue. Anyways, it was a good issue. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I gave that an eight out of ten. Next up is Talon number eight. I dug this. I was surprised by it. Um, uh, they they're moving the series in a totally different direction. Uh, now he really is a talent again. Uh, working for the Court of Owls, uh, he has you know a mission now. It's actually really really cool, um, and not at all what I would have expected. But uh, you know, kudos on James Tynion the Fourth, and uh, I really like the artwork by Miguel Sepulveda. Um, you know, the idea that uh, you know the talents are quite dangerous, and the idea that he really did die, but they're able to bring him back and. Uh, now, he has a whole new mission, which is to go after Sebastian Clark, basically. Uh, really interesting stuff. Really, really cool. I'm really digging it. Like, I cannot wait to uh, read more Talon. And I like the idea of him going up against Bane, which is really badass. I don't know why I like that so much. Uh, and now he's more able to go up against Bane on more of an equal footing, or at least not as jilted as uh, tilted as before. I gave it a 9 out of 10. This is a fantastic issue. Exquisite artwork. I love the look of the... Uh, the uh, oh, I forgot what his freaking name is now, but the, the evil town who's uh, got uh, um, Calvin Rose's friends with life in his hands, basically. Like, he's so menacing looking. Uh, next up is Teen Titans number 20. Didn't much care for this one. I gave this a 6 out of 10. I just, a lot of things I don't care about. Um, I've never been a big fan of the Trigon stories. Obviously, Trigon ha- plays a huge part in the history of the Teen Titans. I've never been that big a fan, though. Um, but anyway, uh, it's written by Scott Lobdell, artwork by Eddie Barrows and Patrick Zerker. I like both of those artists quite a lot. I just don't care for the story that's been going on here. You got Trigon, you got Trigon and his family, you got a history of Trigon, uh, and how he feels about his daughter. Uh, you have the Teen Titans kind of reacting to what's been going on against Trigon, and then they're confronted by, uh, Trigon's children, the three boys that show up to fight them. I just didn't much care for this, and by the time the issue was over, I was just excited that it was finally over. Um, next up is Uncanny Avengers AU. I wasn't expecting this as a title. It was really, really good. I really dug this. Uh, it, it helps if Rick Remender wrote it um, uh, with Dugan, um, or Duggan. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. Jerry Duggan. Um, so I actually really dug that. Adam Kubert on art, Frank Martin on colors. Like This felt like just a regular issue of uh, Uncanny Avengers, but it was very much built as part of the Age of Ultron event because it's taking place in the alternate time stream that we've seen in that title. So you have Colonel America, you have Havoc being the leader of the Morlocks, and Mary de Rogue. Uh, this is just really cool stuff. I like seeing the Apocalypse Twins fighting against them, uh, sort of fighting against the Morlocks and trying to hunt and kill um, uh, Colonel America. This is just really, really cool. I enjoyed it quite a lot. I love seeing Kang's trophy room at the end. Uh, this was just badass. It was so good. Uh, this is a, a total 9 out of 10. Um, excellent book. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men number 6. Really didn't like this. Part of it's the artwork. I'm not a huge fan of the artist on here. I, I believe it's Fraser Irving. Yeah. Um, we're, they were telling a really grounded story in the first few issues, and now we're telling a, a story about, um, what's it called, uh, Dormammu and magic, and I just don't care much for it. The artwork is a little too strange. Uh, I know some people think it's absolutely fantastic and brilliant stuff. Personally, I wasn't a huge fan. 
the way Dazzle looks at, this, at the end was pretty stupid too. She almost looked more like Emma Frost because it looked like she was diamond and not just you know dazzling because she was colorful and whatever. I just didn't much care for it. I gave it a six. Uh, I was disappointed. Uh, and next up and last up is X Men Legacy Eleven. Yeah, this is a six and a half out of uh, ten. I gotta give credit to Simon Spurrier. I didn't see the reveal coming at the end, although really I should have picked it up based on the cover to this issue, which is pretty messed up. Um, Paul David and Tannen Watt do the artwork. Um, it's an intriguing hero. Just the idea of this this pill that uh, Legion's gonna take to get rid of his powers. It will leave him in basically like a kind of a ridiculous vegetative state, but he's willing to take that chance because he wants to avert the future he's seen. You have Blindfold trying to uh, put together a team to go rescue him. Uh, and then you have the big reveal at the end that it's really Red Skull. Uh, and plus the return of Ruckus. And then the prompt depowering and neuterization of Ruckus. But it was interesting. I actually dug this quite a lot. Um, at times, uh, it was inconsistent. I was going to give it a six and a half. I realize now that I think about it, there's actually a lot to like here, but it also felt like we had some interesting story beats, but then there wasn't a lot done to kind of progress them. Like it felt like there was a lot of running in place, like or jogging on the spot, because you had a plot point and it was kind of cool to see, and then they just they just do more. They ram it into the ground that you see it again and again and again. Uh, it just felt like the issue was a lot longer than it needed to be in terms of spending time on some of these plot elements. Um, so I gave it a 6.5 out of 10, but I'm going to upgrade it to a 7 now. Uh, so that is the episode. Uh, there's a numerous comics I didn't have a chance to either read or review, partially sometimes because I didn't much care for them or don't read those titles on a regular basis. Uh, so the ones I didn't get to include All-Star Western number 20, Arrow number 7, Batman Beyond Unlimited number 16, Deadpool number 10, Green Team, Treen Trillionaires number 1. I just couldn't get into it, uh, unfortunately, even though I like Arden Franco a lot. Um, Journey into Mystery 652, I just don't care about that title. I've heard good things, but maybe when the trade comes out, which I actually think it might have already, maybe I'll pick that up at some point, but I really enjoyed what uh, Gillen had done before that. I don't know if I want to read what... They've been doing with Sif since then. Um, Justice League Dark number 20, Superman number 20, Powers Bureau number 4, Ultimate Comics Wolverine number 4, and Young Avengers number 5. Anyways, that is our episode. This has been episode 81, comic reviews for the week of May 22nd. I have uh, been your host, Adam Chapman, and it's glad to have you along for the ride, and hopefully we'll uh, catch you again next time. Um, for those who uh, like the, uh, the non-review episodes, episode 82, coming up on the 29th of May, will be our uh, comic talk episode. It's two hours of random comic discussion with uh, myself and Paul Scores, And then next week, uh, episode 84 on... I think it's, what, June 5th or something. Um, not even sure of the date. I believe it's June 5th. That'll be our uh, Book of the Month episode, which got delayed a little bit, uh, which should, at this point, we're, we're expecting it to feature myself, Paul Scores, Nathan Strzok, and Amber Strzok. And it should be a fun uh, examination of Reggie Hulk Volume 1, the recently reprinted Superman Secret Identity, uh, and uh, Saga Volume 1. Uh, so hopefully it'll be an interesting episode. I can already tell you that there's going to be a lot of uh, heated discussion about Red She-Hulk, as uh, I briefly did a, uh, episode 82 I recorded yesterday on May 26th, and uh, I asked him, like, I'm, I know you probably didn't enjoy my three picks for this particular Book of the Month episode. Can you tell me which one you like the least? And he just glared at me. He's like, I can't tell you that. I'm not going to give you anything until it's time for the podcast. But I know that... 
he just did not like like Red She-Hulk. And I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. So stay tuned to that episode. It should be full of a lot of fireworks, I'm sure. Uh, especially as he bashes Saga, which I'm, I have a feeling he's going to do. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he's going to come up against some uh, some major resistance in the form of uh, Nate, Amber, and myself. So anyways, that'll be episode 84. Uh, that'll be on June 5th, and that should be a good one. Uh, so thank you for joining me for the... Uh, for this episode and we will see you next time you can always email us at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like us on facebook or uh post uh post uh you know post a post in our hd realms thread on this episode uh thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time bye bye